You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Bayshore. Good to see you guys. Uh, great to be back. I haven't seen you guys in a while. I'm so glad to see you. And I want to thank our staff for doing such a great job on our series, our last series, uh, The Ultimate Story. Give our staff a hand. They did a wonderful job on that. So glad you're here. I just came from Femic Island. Our church down there, our campus is doing so well. We had a nine o'clock service there today as we do every Sunday, and that's going so good. And it's just so good to see you guys. So good to be with you and uh, grateful for this wonderful day we have together. By the way, Karen and I celebrated our 46th wedding anniversary yesterday. I mean, I am way out of my league with that girl. I'm just so thankful for her. And uh, we're just hanging on, you know, four years, and we'll have the big 5-0. And we're going to throw a party for ourselves. We're not sure our kids will think of it, so we're just going to do it ourselves, I think. But uh, we're just glad that you're with us today. We're starting a new series today called Road Trip. And this is actually a sequel to our uh, Confrontation in Egypt series. And this is what happens to the children of Israel after they left Egypt. And uh, really looking forward to these stories, getting involved in these stories of what happened to the children of Israel after they left Egypt at the Passover and see what God's plan is for them after they left uh, Egypt and what God has for us. So we're going to zero in on text today, Exodus chapter 15, verses 22 through 27. And these stories are familiar to you, some of you that have been in church, uh, but these are great stories. Exodus 15, 22 through 27. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went to the desert shore. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Merah, they could not drink it, its water because it was bitter. That is the place called Merah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. Then the Lord issued a ruling and an instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped near the water. Well, this is a, a great story about what happened to the children after they left Egypt. And so this is their road trip. They're headed to the promised land. They're going to a new place, a new uh, area. And uh, I don't know if you've been on a road trip this summer. Uh, studies say, say that uh, Americans are taking more vacation time than ever before. If you go back 10 years before the, uh, the COVID epidemic, vacations are way up. People are taking their PTO time. They're taking vacations. Vacations are up by 11%. So some of you this summer, you took a, a road trip somewhere. You went somewhere, and we've got some friends in this campus that just uh, drove to Alabama for a trip. And so we all know about road trips and uh, going on a road trip. Now, the children of Israel are going on this road trip, and their destination is the land of Canaan. That's where they're supposed to go. And it is only 250 miles away from where they lived in Egypt. 250 miles away from the land of Canaan. 
That means if they walk three miles an hour, it would take them 83 hours and 20 minutes to get to the promised land. Or three and a half days, about three and a half days. But it took them 40 years, 40 years to get to the promised land. Now, you know, you know, I've been lost on a vacation before. Some of you have as well, but I don't think I've ever been lost for 40 years. They're lost for a long time. It's supposed to only take 83 hours to get there, and it takes them 40 years to get to the promised land. So we have to think about why is this story in the Bible? Why does it take so long to get to the destination? That's because God's plan is not about destination, but about transformation. What is happening in this journey that we're going to be studying is they got out of Egypt by the Passover, but the wilderness is to get Egypt out of them. They've, got, they've been there generation after generation after generation, and they don't think like Israelites anymore. They think like Egyptians. They have the mindset of an Egyptian, not the mindset of children of God. So God takes this long, long process to get them to a place where they begin to be transformed. And I want you to know this. When you think about your journey, you know, your journey... Uh, and finding the Lord and getting baptized, it's not about you going to heaven. I mean, you're going to go to heaven. I love heaven. I like the concept of heaven. I think as you get older, heaven becomes sweeter to you. You think about heaven, you lost loved ones, you're getting older, your knees don't work, you can't hear, you know, you lost your hair, and so you're thinking about heaven. But the kingdom of God and God's plan is not just about heaven. Karen and I, when we were on vacation, we went to see a show at Clear Space in Rehoboth, and uh, we went to see Jesus Christ Superstar. You know, I'm a child of the 70s, and uh, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar, bad theology, real bad theology, but great music. <laughs> so uh, we got, uh, we actually, it was on a Friday night we went, and so we rode the bus from the little bus terminal uh, over there by Lowe's on Route 1, and rode it into Rehoboth like tourist and got off the bus and went to see the show. It was so cool being on the show or on the, on the bus. People were, you know, like, where are you from? I said, New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey. You know, I just pretended I was a, <laughs> pretended I was a tourist. But we loved the show. It was amazing. It was so good. The music was so good. And the experience was good. Little theater. If you've ever been to Clear Space, about 120 people fit in there. And we had the best time. But, you know, we had our ticket to get to see the show. Now, we're old people, so we had the ticket on our phone, but we also had a hard copy. <laughs> if you're from my generation, you don't trust that barcode. You want to have a ticket. But we went in to see the show, and we had a wonderful time. And when you come to Christ, I think we think that, hey, we got our ticket. We're going to go to heaven so that's the end of the story. If it was about us just going to heaven, God would have taken the children of Israel from Egypt right to Canaan. But he took them through this long process where they were discovering what was really inside of them, and the Lord was transforming them and changing them. You know, God's trying to get Egypt out of them to change them and transform, transform them. So it's not about destination. It's about transformation. The book of Romans says, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, 
but be renewed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed by the pattern of this world. We live in a world system that has different values in the kingdom of God. We live in a different, uh, you know, uh, paradigm in this culture we live in. So God's design for you and me is to transform us and to change us and to get Egypt out of us, to make us more like Jesus. That is always the goal. That's always the goal for us to become more like Jesus. A couple weeks ago, Karen and I got our, uh, our dryer vent cleaned out. I don't know if you've ever, you know, got your dryer vent cleaned out. That's a thing. You're supposed to do that. And, uh, you know, our dryer quit working because I guess it was all plugged up with all the lint. And I think you're supposed to have it done like every other year. Uh, well, our dryer, you know, had, dryer vent had not been cleaned out in 20 years. We never had it done. And people were saying, hey, you need to get it done. You need to get your dryer vent cleaned out. Because what was happening, the dryer was, was turning off because it was all uh, the heat coming back into the dryer. And it was a big problem. You know, we'd walk with our clothes and the dryer would say, don't even think about it. You know, we, we, it was shutting down on us. And it was like $250 to get the dryer vent cleaned out. So I wasn't a big fan of that. You know, that's a lot of money. $250 for what? So finally I broke down and called the guy and he came with this special little Roto-Rooter tool. And for $250, he cleaned out our drive vent. And Karen, I was in the office working. She can't come, come running into my office with buckets of lint. She said, you won't believe how much lint is in this dryer vent. Ended up, we had about a trash can full of dirty lint that we got out of the dryer vent. Now, the main point of today's message is if you haven't got your dry vent cleaned out, you need to get your dry vent cleaned out. In fact, you should go home right now and get that done. But what God is doing in the children of Israel's lives, he's cleaning them out. He's getting all the dirty stuff out of their life. And how he does that is he shows them what's really in their heart. You know, when they left uh, Egypt, uh, they go to the Red Sea and when they go through the Red Sea, you know, God does this great miracle and they're moving forward and they're celebrating and three days, three days in the wilderness, they're complaining already. And they've just come from the biggest miracle outside of the resurrection of Jesus in the Bible. They just come from the parting of the Red Sea. And I would argue that the parting of the Red Sea is the biggest miracle in the Bible outside of the resurrection of Jesus. And yet they've already forgotten about that. They've got spiritual amnesia. Have you ever gotten spiritual amnesia? You know, you just forget God's faithfulness, what he's done for you. And you get into a situation where you're uncomfortable and you're complaining and you're upset because you don't like where you are and you've forgotten and I've forgotten where we've come from and what the Lord has done in our life. On the way down to, uh, to preach at Femke Island this morning, I called my son, Tim. Uh, today's his uh, 42nd birthday, and he's in Portugal uh, with his family. And so I called Tim and uh, talked to him. So weird. I'm in Selbyville. He's in Portugal, and we're talking. And I wished him a happy birthday. We talked a little bit about his day, and I told him how much I loved him and how important he is to me. But 42 years ago today, when he was born, 
He was born in traumatic uh, fashion. Uh, they gave Karen too much potassium uh, to try to induce her labor, and the belt wasn't on right. They weren't reading the contractions right, and they gave her more and more potassium, and her uterus ruptured, and he was three weeks early. And he ingested all this fluid, and his lungs were compromised, and the doctor said to me, I'm a 22-year-old boy, first-time father, and the doctor says, you know, I want to be honest with you. This very serious, and you may not bring this little baby home. And we prayed, and I got on my knees and prayed, and 13, late, 13 days later, he came home, and God took care of him. And I know everybody's story different. You know, whatever your story is, maybe your outcomes are different. But God is faithful. And if he's been faithful in the past, he'll be faithful in the future. If he could take them through the Red Sea... He can certainly provide some water for them to drink. But they forgot it, and they had spiritual amnesia. They began to forget, you know, what God had done for them and how God had taken care of them. I want to say to you this morning, the Lord is going to take care of you. He's going to watch over you. In fact, he's watching over you right now. So they get into this experience, and they begin to complain. Now, here's the thing about what this teaches us. You never know who you are until you're uncomfortable. You never know who you really are when you're winning. You only know who you are when you're losing. When things aren't going good, that's the real you. That's who you really are. You know, when they were out dancing at the Red Sea, you know, after the great miracle, they're dancing, they got their tambourines, they're happy, they're joyful. That's not who they are. Who they really are is when they're thirsty and they're uncomfortable and they don't like where they are and they begin to complain. You see, you never know who you are when things are good. You only know who you are when things are tough. And when you, you know, get into your marriage, maybe you're married and you think, you know, this woman makes me so mad. I get so mad at her. When I'm around her, I just get so mad. I've had husbands tell me that before. That woman that you married is not making you mad. It's revealing that you are mad. See, our circumstances don't produce what we are. Our circumstances reveal what we are. And so you never really know who you are when you're winning. You only know who you are when you're losing. You only know who you are when you're under pressure. You only know who you are when things are tough. I am a big uh, tennis fan. I love tennis. And I'm sorry for all the tennis illustrations. I use a lot of tennis illustrations. But this year I watched uh, the Wimbledon men's final, final with Novak Djokovic playing this new young 20-year-old guy, uh, Carlos Alcaraz. Now, there's a new sheriff in town. Carlos Alcaraz is an amazing tennis player from Spain. And he played Novak, which is, you know, undoubtedly one of the greatest players in the world and one of the greatest players of all time. He has won more majors, major tournaments, 23, than anybody in the world. More than Nadal, more than Federer. But when he was playing the Wimbledon final... You know, Novak can be very uh, poised and very uh, diplomatic with the crowd. 
He does this little thing at the end, and he's very good with, inter with, with the interviews. But in the Wimbledon final, what shall I say? He was getting his tail beat. He lost the first set, or he won the first set, but then Carlos just kicked into this, and he was like a dog playing with a rag. I mean, he was just, just doing so good. And Novak Djokovic came unglued, and he took his racket in that little beautiful wooden uh, post that holds up the, the net for the Wimbledon tournament that was shipped here, shipped there in England from the United States, this beautiful piece of wood. Novak takes his racket and he beats that pole till he crushes his racket and he leads big dents in that, in that pole and he was fined $8,000. See, you don't know who you are when you're winning. You only know who you are when you're losing. You say, I would just say this, I'm not ragging on Novak because I know how frustrating tennis is. You say, Pastor Danny, have you ever thrown or, or hit your racket down? Have you ever done that? I cannot confirm or deny what I've done with my racket. <laughs> but that's what we learn. We learn who we are when things aren't going well. When you're under pressure, when we're struggling, when things are bad, when you're losing. You don't know who you are when your business is thriving. You don't know who you are when the spreadsheets look great. You don't know who you are when everything is just coming together. You only know who you are when things are bad and things are looking gloomy. That's what reveals our true character. In the wilderness, in our journey, God allows us to go through stuff. God allows us to be uncomfortable. God allows things to come into our life that we don't like. God allows three days without water where we're uncomfortable and, and we want things to be different. God allows that so we can see who we are. My biggest uh, struggle as I look at our, our race of human people. We're just human beings. Here's the thing I'm learning after 40 some years of being a pastor and, you know, however old I am now, I'm not going to tell you that, you know, uh, here's what I've learned. We are so bad at self-awareness. So bad at self-awareness. We don't know who we really are. It's always, you know, our boss's fault. It's always the company we were for that's fault. It's always our circumstances. It's always our spouse's fault. If they weren't this way, if our situation weren't like this, I wouldn't be this way. That's absolutely wrong. That's who you are. That's who I am. I am who I am, not when the... Seats are full and not when the spreadsheets are looking great. I am who I am when things are not going well. And God lets me see that. And when I see it, I can deal with it. And the Holy Spirit can help me. Never, ever blame your reaction on your circumstances. Take your reactions to the cross and take ownership for them. Because the thing in the Christian life, it's not hard to do good action. Being, you know, the actions we take. We get up in the morning, read our Bible, we're going to live like a Christian. We have good actions. The actions aren't the problem. It's the reactions that are the problem. 
It's the things that we don't see coming. I want to read to you a great quote by C.S. Lewis. This is a long quote, but I'm going to read it, uh, and I want you to just, to just lean into this quote because I think it's one of the best descriptions about what happens in us when our circumstances aren't right. Here's what C.S. Lewis writes. He said, we begin to notice besides our particular sinful act, our sinfulness begin to be alarmed not only about what we do, but what we are. This may sound rather difficult, so I will try to make it clear from my own case. When I come to my evening prayers and try to reckon up the sins of the day, nine times out of ten, the most obvious ones is some sin against charity. I have sulked or snapped or sneered or snubbed or stormed. And the excuse that immediately springs to my mind is that the provocation was so sudden and unexpected, I was caught off my guard. I had not time to collect myself. Now, that may be in an extenuating circumstances as regards to those particular acts. They would obviously be worse if they had been deliberate and premeditated. On the other hand, surely what a man does when he is taken off his guard is the best evidence for what sort of man he is. Surely what pops out before the man has time to put on a disguise is the truth. If there are rats in the cellar, you are most likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. But the suddenness does not create the rats. It only prevents them from hiding. In the same way, the suddenness of the provocation does not make me an ill-tempered man. It only shows me what an ill-tempered man I am. The rats are always in the cellar. But if you go in shouting and noisily, they will take cover before you switch on the light. That's exactly right. And when I lean into that, and I realize if I react in a wrong fashion, it's not my circumstance. It's not the situation with people around me. It's not my uncomfortableness at that moment. It's who I really am. And I have to come to the Lord and say, Lord, I take ownership for this. This is what I am. And you let me see what I really am. And I need your Holy Spirit to transform me because the reason you're letting me be uncomfortable is because I need to see who I really am. In this lesson, the children of Israel, they, you know, they take uh, three times to... You know, there's three stories that we're going to cover. Every story complaining back and forth. Just, and they, they keep failing the test. Here's the great thing about the Lord. When we fail a test, there's always a retest. He lets us go through it again. I, I'm working on a doctoral, doctoral degree through Liberty University. Love the school and uh, I should be done next spring and grateful for the opportunity to study and learn more. But I recently submitted a paper, and in a doctoral program, when you, enter, when you submit a paper, that's it. You, you can't get that paper back. I mean, one-time submission. And um, I submitted it early, and the professor, my mentor that's helping me with this uh, final degree, says, I'm going to give you a break here because your last part of your paper did not have an academic tone did not have an academic tone. I wasn't sure what an academic tone was, but I was going to fix it. He said, I'm going to give you another chance. He let me go back and work on that. And that's how God is. When you fail and you mess up, 
Let me ask you a question. How many of you have messed up this week at least one time? Your reaction was not right. Don't raise your hand. Just point at the person next to you. You know they have. <laughs> but God lets you do it again and again and again. We have to have self-awareness. We have to know who we are. And their big sin was complaining. They were complaining. And I started wearing this white band. I did this a couple years ago. And this white band is to remind me that every time I complain, if I complain, I have to change the band and put it on the other wrist. And the goal is, is to go a whole day without complaining. And experts say that 21 days you can change a habit. And I want to change the habit of complaining. And so we gave one of you, everybody got one of these today. And during the month of August, uh, this campus and the Femcon campus, we're going to wear these white bands and we're going to aim at learning to not complain. Now, if you're like me, there's stuff that gets on my, mom, on my nerves and makes me complain. You know, uh, how many have ever complained about the traffic? I'm telling you. We complain about it. If you go down Route 24 to Rehoboth, there's like a war zone. I'm telling you. And you get on there and you get behind people and the traffic. And, you know, people that come here, that move here from New York and New Jersey, they say, what are you all complaining about? This isn't traffic. <laughs> hey, listen, you got to lean into our heart. This is traffic for Sussex County people. Complain about uh, poor customer service. You know, I took my weed eater the other day to a place to get it fixed, and I usually have one big problem with a weed eater a year, and it's demon-possessed at least once in the summer. And, and I took it to this store, and customer service was a foreign concept to this store. And you can complain about that. Complain about how hot it is. How many complain about how hot it's been? Have you complained about it? It won't be long, we'll be complaining about how cold it is. Complain about, you know, lines, and we complain about prices. We complain about, must I say it? Complain about our country, complain about politics, and there's certainly a place to speak up and be way in and all that, but how about if we take a break this summer and not complain about our country? How about if we just, we become a different kind of people? We give up complaining for a month. And I tell you what, uh, I started wearing this about a week ago, and it's amazing when I look at my wrist, and I almost start to say something, and it reminds me to not complain. Great story in the New Testament is Acts 16 about not complaining. You got Paul and Silas at Philippi, they're preaching the gospel, and they are thrown into the prison it says they are beaten severely, beaten severely for preaching the gospel, beaten severely, and then thrown into prison. They weren't like led into prison. They were thrown into prison. And they were placed, their feet were placed in stocks, and their hands were tied up, and their backs were bleeding. And it was midnight, it says in the text. It was midnight, the darkest time that it could be. Their backs are bleeding, they're confined, they're uncomfortable. 
So what comes out of their mouth when they're uncomfortable? They begin to sing hymns. They begin to praise the Lord. They begin to worship the Lord. And as they began to worship the Lord, it says the prisoners were listening to them. You know, we're not going to change America. We're not going to change people in our community by apologetics, arguing with them about the faith and being rational. There's a place for that. I've studied all of that. But you don't win anybody by arguing them into the faith. What people are looking for is authenticity. They want to see people that are real, that when things aren't going good, they love Jesus. They don't complain like everybody else. They got a positive attitude. And Paul and Silas began to sing and worship the Lord. They could have said, I can't believe this has happened to us. We're out here serving the Lord, and these people aren't treating us fair. This is unfair. This is unjust. There is injustice in the world. There's injustice that you will experience. People won't treat you right. I hesitate to say, I was listening to Chris Rock, you know, do a little thing. His language is terrible, but he's a pretty funny guy about some things. He says he tells his kids when they leave the house, he said, when you leave this house, nobody cares about you. Nobody cares anything about you. And he explained it in more colorful terms. And he said, people aren't going to treat you fair. And I want you to know, as Americans, we feel so entitled that people should treat us, but people won't treat us the way we think they should treat us. And Paul and Silas, they began to sing to the Lord. They began to honor the Lord. They began to worship the Lord. And the more they worshiped, the freer they got. I just think Paul probably couldn't sing. I don't, I just don't, he doesn't look, I just, when I read Paul, I don't think he's a singer. I just think he was a bad singer. Have you ever stood next to anybody that was a bad singer in church? Don't raise your hand right now. I think that would probably be dangerous. <laughs> I was in Germany one time uh, speaking and teaching to missionaries, and, and we had a little worship time before uh, this session. I was going to do some teaching, and there was a, a volcanologist next to me. He's a, a volcanologist as someone that studies volcanoes. And he had a Ph.D. in studying volcanoes. And I took a walk with him later, had a wonderful talk with him. But this poor man loved Jesus, but he could not sing. I'm telling you, it was so bad. I've never heard anybody sing as bad as he did, but he had no uh, qualms at all. But he was just bellowing out. None of us were singing. We couldn't sing. It was so out of key, we just watched him. <laughs> you know, you need to worship and love Jesus, and I need to love Jesus and worship and not complain. There's so much to be thankful for. There's so many good things. He's been faithful to me. I took a walk uh, last night and prayed, and, and I come to, you know, I prayed the acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving. I got to the thanksgiving part of my prayer, and I just began to thank the Lord for all, my, all the things the Lord's done for me. If he never did one more thing for me, the rest of my life, I have no basis in which to complain. Here's what Philippians says. This is a great verse, if I can find it here. Philippians 2.14, listen to this. Paul, by the way, when Paul is writing Philippians, he's in jail. He's in jail. And 
He's in Rome, probably, or Caesarea, one of the jails he was in. Scholars debate that. Philippians 2.14 says he's in jail, but he writes this, do everything without complaining, do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God, without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. In a world of darkness, in a world of negativity, we're to be stars of light. We're to worship and praise the Lord and be void of complaining. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. What does that mean? What does everything mean? It means going to work. It means taking care of your kids. It means driving to Rehoboth and the traffic. It means standing in the line at Food Lion. It means, you know, waiting for somebody at lunch that they didn't show up. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. And the children of Israel, three days into their journey, that's what they started doing. Grumbling at Moses, why did you do this to us? You know, why, why is this happening to us? I want you to read this with me. I'll read a line, you read it with me. Let's say Philippians 2.14. This is our verse to key in, uh, in on today. Say this with me. I'll read it, and then you read it after me. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, and a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. So when you leave today, put your white band on, and all of August, it's a reminder when I want to complain, I'm going to leave it, I'm going to, my goal is to keep it on my right hand all day long. And if I mess up, I'll, I'll move it and move it back every time I complain. And if some of you wear yours out and tear it out, we'll give you some more, okay? <laughs> Let's say it with me. Do everything without arguing and complaining. I've been watching uh, on Netflix. There's a just, I actually finished it, a wonderful documentary called Quarterbacks. Uh, it's on uh, three quarterbacks in this uh, 2022 season. Uh, it was on the Atlanta quarterback. I can't remember his name. And it was on uh, uh, Kirk Cousins of the uh, Minnesota Vikings and then um, uh, Mahomes of uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. And it is so good. Showing these quarterbacks what they go through. Showing the pressure they're under. But they spent a lot of time focused on Kirk Cousins. And Kirk Cousins is a Christian. And his dad is a, a pastor in Orlando. In fact, our own Mike Harris used to work at that church, work for Kirk Cousins' dad. And um, the seventh episode shows the wild card playoffs with the Vikings against the New York Giants. Now, the thing is, the Vikings have had this amazing year where they had the biggest comeback in NFL history. The biggest comeback. They were down like 33 points at halftime, and they came back and won the game. It's a, it's a historical record. Never been done before. And they come to the wild card game, 
And everybody's expecting the Vikings to win. And Kirk Cousins had a great year. He's just a very disciplined quarterback. He played for the, uh, the Washington team for a while, whatever you want to call the Washington team. And uh, he gets to the wild card game. And it's 31 to 24. And it's the last quarter. And the Vikings are behind. And Kirk Cousins needs to go eight yards to keep the drive alive so he can win or tie the game or win the game. And he throws a pass, and it only goes five yards. The receiver catches it, but they didn't make the first down. And the Vikings lose the game. So the film crew that's doing this documentary in the car with um, Kirk Cousins and his wife, Julie, on the way home after they lost the game. Interesting thing is he's coming out of the stadium. He stops, and there's fans, and he stops, and he rolls the window down, and he signs autographs for people after he loses the game. And he drives home, and he's talking to his wife, Julie, and he said to Julie, he said, you know, a game comes down to three plays sometimes. If there's three plays I could take back, we would win that game. And he's so disappointed. She says, I know we're all shocked. And they show him, he comes into his home in Minneapolis, and he has two little boys. They're taking a bath, and, uh, you know, he goes in and dries his little boys off. And, and then he's reading a book to one of his boys before, they go, before he goes to sleep. And then he says to his little son, I think it's Kyle. He said, Kyle, let's, let's sing a song. And he sings, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And then he prays with this little boy and he says, he says, thank you, Lord for how you blessed our family. Thank you for Kyle, how you're taking care of him. Thank you that you didn't let Daddy get hurt this year, that you took care of me and took care of the team. And Lord, whatever the future is, we give the future to you. And then the scene fades out. You know, what you are, is what you are when you're losing, not when you're winning. What you are is not when you hold up the trophy. What you are is when things are really bad and things are dark. That's who we really are. And I'll tell you what, I, I want to be like Jesus, but I want to be like Kirk Cousins too. I'm telling you, that's amazing. I may even root for the Vikings this year. I mean, you know, Aaron Rodgers left the Packers. I don't know what I'm going to do this year, but I, I love that. Say it with me. Lift your hands up before we pray. What I am is what I am when things aren't good. Father God, we pray right now over this great group of people, people that are special to you, and you're leading them in the wilderness and you're transforming them. Some of them have gone through some dark times and they're seeing sides of themselves they've never seen before. And Lord, it's not to condemn us, but it's to show us that we need the grace of God in our life, the Holy Spirit to change us. There's some marriages here where the, the real character issues are beginning to emerge because of the pressure that's in the marriage. We thank you that that's by design 
for you to show us what we really are so we can change. We ask the Holy Spirit to help us this week. And Lord, help us as we wear these white bands this month that we'll become a people that are stars in a dark universe, bright and glorifying you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.